I'm going to be reading from John chapter 15, if you want to turn there, John 15. And it's uh, the message is to connect us with this weekend. I'm glad that the rest of you didn't take the long weekend off and go somewhere, <laughs> that you're here with us. <clears throat> of course, growing up, we know that the Indy 500 always marked the Memorial Day weekend and other events. But this is um, a special weekend. Uh, tradition, I guess, is kind of, we're almost having to intentionally try to hold on to the tradition of what this weekend means because it seems like it has turned into an easy, long weekend to take off and go somewhere. Uh, the most iconic tribute that is done on Memorial Day tomorrow will be uh, in Arlington National Cemetery as the President of the United States always places a reef at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And uh, <clears throat> that is one of the most memorable things you'll see in Washington, D.C. is changing of the guard. I've never been there for Memorial Day, but uh, what an impressive place Arlington National Cemetery is. When you turn to John 15... You're going to notice that the opening subject is Jesus talking about the vine and the branches, that analogy that he's using. Um, from chapter 12 and 13, and as you progress through that, all of this is the, the discourse in the upper room. This is the Passover meal, the most uh, complete transcript of things that happened that night. And one of the things that Jesus was doing with the disciples, he was trying to illustrate the connection that he had with them and, and that they had with him. And there's a statement in that uh, analogy in verse 5 where it, it kind of closes out verse 5. But I want, you to, I want to point you there because I think that is the qualifier for a lot that he says through the rest of chapter 15 and chapter 16 and, of course, his prayer is in chapter 17. But this is the qualifier that you read. It's translated a little different, but here it is. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that is a qualifier to say whatever you want to do in your life, you can do that. But if you're going to do what I need you to do and what I want you to do, you have to stay connected to me. You have to abide with me. Stay with me. What, what the Lord was saying is that he is, even states, I am the vine in, in verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you did not get that, apostles, here it is again. I'm the vine, you're branches. So as branches, you're totally dependent on me. This is what the Lord is saying. So he's, he's really talking to them about that their relationship is organic. It, it's connected and it's uh, dynamic and it's real. He's talking about this is a real relationship that we have with each other. And so everything that Jesus tells them the rest of this chapter and in chapter 16 comes back to that truth. That truth is they can do nothing for the kingdom of God apart from Jesus. Now, we can do things that look like the kingdom of God, but we cannot actually do the kingdom of God work without being connected to him. And what's more important the uh, illustration or the truth that the illustration brings attention to. 
We can talk about vine and branches, but we just know that is pointing us back to that great truth that we have to stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected. Stay, remain with him. In John 15, 9, and, and that's chapter, uh, verse 5 that I was referring back to, apart from me, you can do nothing. Look what he says in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I'm going to add a little bit to this as we read this again. But I'm just reading it straight from NIV. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is still this connected thing. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. You'll stay connected to my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. He goes on to say, I've told you this so that my joy will be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And out of that is the title of this message, No Greater Love. You are my friends if you do what I command. Let me take you back through this, and let's add the qualifier to some of this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Apart from me, you can't do this. Do you see how that is going to trail this all the way through? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, and apart from me, you can't do this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, because apart from me, you can't have this. And here's my command, he says. Love each other as I loved you. And no greater love than someone who lays down his or her life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, later on, he prepares them for trouble. Uh, on down, you'll find these words. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, there's, there's some um, drawbacks to this connection, right? Because we're connected because of our relationship and if they persecuted me, they will persecute you because we are connected. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my, my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. He prophesied certain things that's going to happen to them. And in that setting, I'm sure that kind of rocked their world when he was telling them these are some of the things that's going to be facing you. And it's not because of who they are. All of this is, goes back to that vine and branch. He says, whatever happens to you because you're connected to me is because you are connected to me. And whatever you're going to suffer because of that is because you are connected. It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you're connected to. And then if you look at the start of John chapter 16, he qualifies why he's telling them all this. He said, I'm telling you all of this so that you will not fall away. So that you will be prepared, that you won't let something throw you off guard and make you back away from me. 
He said, they'll put you out of the synagogue. This is John 16, 2. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. It didn't take them long to find that out. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. He said, I'm warning you of what's coming your way because you're connected. Now, sitting around that Passover meal, hearing these words, was one James, the son of Zebedee. And right next to Jesus was the familiar place of his brother, John. And those two, along with Peter, made up the inner three-man circle that Jesus seemed to keep with him on certain occasions. And I'm sure James was listening to that. There'll be people who think when they kill you, they're doing a service to God. And James wasn't the first martyr of the church. That was Stephen. But James wasn't far behind Stephen. When he was arrested and executed, and everybody liked that so much, they went out and arrested Peter. And Peter was next in line, except for a miraculous deliverance from God. You know, one of the questions I always thought was, I wonder, I wonder why James wasn't miraculously delivered. Maybe, maybe somebody in his family thought, well, you know, Peter gets out, but God is telling them, through Christ, these are the things that's going to wait you because you're connected to me. They will, they will come after you. No wonder all of them were in hiding after that kind of warning. They're coming after you. After they get me, they're going to come after you. And then he said, apart from me, you won't make it. And here's what Jesus tells them, though, in John 16. He says, but here, here's your help. I will send you another helper. I'm, I'm telling you this now because up to now I've been with you, but it's coming to where I'm not going to be with you, so I'm telling you this. I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to bring strength to you. And you're going to be able to face all these things because the Holy Spirit is going to be here to help you. I'm warning you so that you won't fall back and shrink away from what I've called you to to be identified with me is what the Lord is saying. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And in that regard, it is connected to Memorial Day, isn't it? I want to introduce you to someone. You probably never heard his name, but uh, his grave marker is going to come up on the screen. Melton H. Presley. Actually, Melton Howard Presley. This marks his final resting place in Green Hill Memorial Garden in Childersburg, Alabama. When, when you put, and he's on the Vietnam War Memorial, he, he was one of our young people in our church in Childersburg. Closest to the Vietnam War got to our little congregation there in Childersburg. And on his uh, description of what happened to him, it has this incident date, February the 25th, 1968, ground hostility, multiple fragmentary wounds, and he eventually died 12 days later 
on March the 9th, just short of turning 19. I remember his funeral. And I asked my siblings about Melton. And one of the things I asked him, I said, what do you remember about his funeral? I don't remember who preached it. I, I do believe it was held in our church. But it was such a horrible tragedy to, to hit the Presley family. Without exception, all of them said, I cannot get out of my mind the brokenness of his mother, Sister Presley. The brokenness of losing her son at such a young age. Just this um, week in a little town in Minnesota, Edmonds, Minnesota, population 400. Did you hear what happened in Minnesota, in Edmonds? Maybe a few of you. Let me show you a picture of another young man, much older, much, goes much further back. This is Galen or Gaden Iverson. You heard this story? On the USS Oklahoma, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, he was a casualty. He was not able to be identified, so along with others, they were buried in these graves that they had no identification. But because of DNA, the military started going into these graves and taking enough DNA samples to see if they could track down. Yesterday, this sailor that was killed on that momentous day of Pearl Harbor was laid to rest ne next to his parents in Emmons, Minnesota. He was a Navy fireman. USS Oklahoma was turned over and just the bottom of part of the hull was all that was there. This is what Memorial Day is about. And more and more people, they're, they're saying that they have like millions of blood samples of current people serving in the military so that those that were not able to be identified otherwise can be identified with DNA. And isn't it fitting that on Memorial Day weekend, he, this young man was honored, laid to rest in the family plot. Something's going on. I want to point your attention because the sacrifice of believers today is incredible. We honor our military, especially those on Memorial Day weekend, for dying in service for our country. But I want to take you to what's going on in the church world. Our brothers and sisters in the faith that are dying Something else happened this week in Egypt. 29 Coptic Christians were murdered in a caravan that they were traveling to a monastery to pray. Ten mask attackers in three SUVs stormed the bus dressed in military uniforms and demanded the passengers recite the Muslim profession of faith and then the gunman opened fire. Ten were children. Three children survived the attack. One of the young boys that survived his dad 
shielded his son from the gunfire and later his son took off running with his father's cell phone and managed to call his mom and tell her what happened. And they retrieved him and another boy that was running into the wilderness right there. It was out in a barren area. Flowers was left there concerning the celebration of Ramadan, which started the next day. The attackers even videoed what they were doing. What bravery these people shown in refusing to reject Christ as their Lord and Savior. People say, what are Coptic Christians? These are more of an orthodox church in Egypt, but they're pretty significant in number. They're 10% of Egypt's population. And yet they're being attacked almost on, a, on Palm Sunday. You might remember a couple of their churches were attacked. Let me show you another photograph that you might recall. This is uh, 21 Egyptian, you remember this? Coptic. Remember, no greater love has anyone than to lay down one's life for friends. But the book of Hebrews talks about people love not their lives even unto death. They didn't value their life more important than their profession of faith. Even Polycarp was told by people, all you have to do, sir, is just, you know, kind of back off from your confession of Jesus. He's in his 80s. They really didn't want to kill him, you know, execute him. He says, all these years Jesus has been faithful to me and I'm going to bail out on him now. Now, this is a southern translation of what Polycarp. That's basically what he said. Is like, the, the Savior has been faithful to me. I'm not going to be faithful to him now. So these are 21 Coptic. We were told these were 21 Coptic Christians lined up here. You notice in this picture that the one that's in charge is dressed differently. By the way, all of these executioners behind him beheaded these men. That's how they died. And many, if not all of them, were professing Isa, Jesus, as they were dying. Now, just hold on a little bit because you might not like the way I'm going here, all right? All of these look Egyptian except one. And it's the one where the leader is standing over. Now, I'm going to show you a close-up picture. This man is identified as Matthew Ayager. He was not from Egypt. He's African. He's from the nation of Chad. He wasn't even a Christian. He simply was working at the same place that these other men from Egypt were working. So he was taken along with them. And as he witnessed each one of these men being challenged to renounce their faith as Christians, 
and, and convert to Islam and watch as they were beheaded when they refused to. When they came to him, and I think it's on camera, they said, do you reject Christ? Now, he could have said, well, I'm not a Christian. Right? You have any idea what he said? He said these words. Their God is my God. He became a believer the day he died. What was the witness? He saw these men dying for the Lord Jesus Christ. When it came time for him to be spared his life, he joined them. How about that for a baptism? His life ended almost immediately after he became a believer, a follower, a confessor of Jesus Christ. No greater love. Jesus said he came to bring us the Father's love. He came to bring us the love that he and the Father had, which is a perfect love, right? It is the ultimate love. And then in saying that, he says, and I want you to experience that love through me. I want us to be connected that nothing can separate us. And that empowers us to love likewise. Remember verse 12? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. It's not just love each other. He says, love each other the way I loved you. Be bonded. It's kind of interesting that at this moment, this man decided to bond with the people being executed. When he could have just walked away. Love each other as I have loved you. We can't do that apart from him. We can't love that way apart from Jesus. And I thought about this. This is not said too many times. It's said in this upper room discourse with Jesus and the other places in Ephesians 5 when Paul tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. That's kind of changes the dynamic, doesn't it? If you love your wife as Christ loves the church, what does that mean? It means you can't do that in yourself. It takes the power of God and the love of Christ filling our souls. So what should our response be to these masked killers? Let me say, what should our response be to our brothers and sisters dying for their faith? We should pray for their families. We should pray for them. The tragedy of that loss. But I'm telling you what's happening the Coptic Christians are starting to generate converts because of how they're handling this. They're not handling it in anger. They're not taking up arms and attacking mosques. They're on television, on Egyptian television stations, saying, we forgive you. How do you do that? You do that when you're connected to the vine. 
Otherwise, we are broken and fruitless if we're not connected to his life. You and I can't do that in ourselves. And this is the whole point Jesus is making. He says, our relationship, he said, our relationship with, with the apostles and myself is a dynamic one filled with life and power. And you can do what I do through the power that comes through that kind of love. We should pray for their families to be strong. We should pray that we would be willing as well to witness for Christ where we're at. We're not threatened by death. We're not having to worry about somebody killing us for our faith. We've got, we've got an open season on sharing the gospel. This is a great place to share the gospel. We should pray for the people executing and killing these. We should, you know, uh, Dr. Michael Brown on Twitter put a, a little, they do these little vote things, a survey. And he had three options. Should we pray for the judgment of God on these people who had killed these Coptic Christians? Or should we pray for the mercy of God on them? And the last would be what? Both. <laughs> should we not pray at all? <laughs> I don't think he's going to leave that as an option. No, he says, should we pray for the judgment of God or should we pray for the mercy of God or should we pray for both? You know, I answered that survey. I answered it B. And then I add to the clarifying statement. We don't have to pray for the judgment of God. People are already under judgment. The law of sowing and reaping does not depend on whether you want to pray for it or against it. God is a just God. We don't have to pray for these people to be in trouble. They're in trouble. What we need to pray for them is that the mercy of God would penetrate the callousness of their soul. And he says, well, you know, I'm sure that's kind of hard to do that. Well, let's just, let me give you this scenario. Can you imagine trying to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the early days of the church when this crazy man named Saul of Tarsus was going around trying to hunt down everybody he could find and kill them or imprison them? And could it be that we would be easy to say somebody needs to take him out? Or just, Lord, let him have an accident. Let him fall off a cliff. Was, was Paul any less notorious than these men? And look what God did with him. See, what we do, we see people, we don't see them as a prospect for Christ to save them. We just see their current situation and we kind of judge the possibilities by looking at that. And that's not how God works. He took that callous man, that, that belligerent man, that prideful man, who said himself, he, was, he had the higher echelon of academics to his name. And he was a prideful man. And God humbled him. And when he became a surrendered vessel to Christ, look at how much of the New Testament he wrote. 
No greater love. We need to remember our heroes. We need to remember our military personnel. My dad is buried in the same cemetery as Milton. My dad was 89. Look how much longer he lived. But my dad survived a war. Sure, close calls. Diane's dad was on the USS Tennessee, I think it was, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, and he survived. Now, these that had families, and we're here, and we're here because of just the mercy of God. But we shouldn't forget those who didn't have a chance to build a family and honor them this weekend. But more than that, we should really have a new sense of identifying with our brothers and sisters in the faith who are being killed for their witness. And guard your heart from anger because it was reported that when they were feeding Christians to the lions in the Colosseum for sport, that the believers mostly would get in a circle and the most elderly would make a wall around the younger ones. And how they handled that horrific experience as they were mauled to death by these wild beasts is said that how they handled it converted more people in the stands because of their witness. We will never convert people through anger or through a a hard, tight-fisted, this is awful. It is awful. May the blood of these men, who knows some of these guys who did the execution may have already been converted because the last word these guys says was the name of Jesus. They have to have that on their minds. I pray that the, you know, probably this is the worst I get. I pray that they'll have dreams of Jesus coming to them and letting them know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Would you stand with me? There's a lot of things you can read. There's a lot of websites. One of the best for you to read is Voice of Martyrs. Paul, if you can come to the platform, we're going to give an opportunity just to connect with Jesus. I don't know. I just love church. I would come if there was five people. We have our 45th anniversary coming up, don't we? Five years ago, we were in New Orleans for our 40th anniversary. We always try to do something. We got to do something this this summer, yeah, this summer, this summer. It's July. I'm all right. I'm all right. We got time. But we went to New Orleans, and I was reading this book, Redeeming Love, and I was like a mess. Uh, I, I wept through, through that book, and I told her, we was there on Sunday, I said, I don't want to go to a big church. I don't want to go to a mega church. I, there's, there's plenty of big churches here. Because here, listen to a preacher that's on the 
TV and I said, let's find a storefront church. And we found one. We walked in, there was four people there. They greeted us. I cried through most of the service. I was just already a mess. By the time it started, there was about 30 people there. And this young couple just touched my heart how passionate they were. And I'm thinking, this is where I needed to be today. Just to pray for them and bless them and thank God for them that their faithfulness does not depend on the number of the people they're looking at every Sunday morning. They're going to be faithful to God. I want us to have a new standard of faithfulness to God. How about that standard being the cross? The value that the Lord put on you. The value He put on those people that gave their lives. And the value He put on those who are taking those lives. Did Jesus die for those executioners? Absolutely. He's not willing that any should perish. Could you join me this morning? And asking for the name of Jesus to be broadcast in power and authority through our our world. Would you do that with me? Lord, we believe that in your name there is power. There is a draw. There is life in your name. And when these confess you moments before their spirit flees from that vessel, that tabernacle of flesh, The last words was your name. Lord, may that resonate within the ears and the hearts and the souls of those who heard their final witness of you. Lord, may your name be upon our lips more so than ever as we're openly confessing you as our Savior, believing in our heart that you were raised from the dead and that as branches connected to you, We bear fruit for your kingdom, and that's lasting fruit. I pray for those who are on the front lines of the ISIS fighters. I pray, Lord, for a move of your spirit in these men's hearts. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to penetrate those circles of such hate that you would bring life to them through your gospel. And that believers around the world, especially in Egypt and Syria and Pakistan and India and Yemen and Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Lebanon and Turkey and Macedonia and Northern Africa and Morocco and Algiers and Libya and Egypt and Sudan and Somalia And Dibuti, Lord, we pray for Africa to come alive with your life and your power, Lord. And that northern Africa be invaded by the gospel. Pray, Lord, for Iran and Iraq to have revival, Lord. And that revival will probably be also in blood of those who confess you. But may that blood be the soil from which others come to faith. Forgive us, Lord, for being detached from the part of the 
body of Christ that we can't identify with in our own experience. Holy Spirit, would you help us to be connected to our family of God around the world who are suffering for their faith. Lord, I pray for a move of your Spirit in our world that you would awaken our world with life, Lord, for Europe to be awakened again with your gospel, for Russia and China and North Korea and Thailand, Vietnam, Lord, for again a move of your Spirit in those countries drawing people to you. I pray, Father, for the status quo of America to be drenched with the new fire. Revival sweep away our order and our the plastic of our lives, Lord, to give us genuine life, oh, Father. Forgive us, Lord, for depending on traditions and, and going through motions instead of real life with you. We celebrate your life, Lord. I pray for our country. And I pray for the men and women in uniform, for those in the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines and the Army and the Coast Guard. Lord, I pray that there would be a move of your spirit, especially among the leadership of those armed forces. Raise up admirals and colonels and generals that will be mighty men and women of God move in the ranks of the academies Lord let there be a a new wave of men and women seeking you thank you Lord